Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John, and if we're meeting for the first time, welcome. I'm super glad you're here on the podcast. Here on the Bible in Life, we like to provide what I call blue jeans theology. And what I mean by that is theology that's expressed in the language of everyday life, that's wrestled with in the context of everyday life, because it's in the midst of our everyday life that we have to follow Jesus. And so if the the theology and the Bible does not intersect with our everyday life, how in the world can it help us follow Jesus? So that's the goal. That's what we're all about, ultimately about following Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. So thanks for joining me here on this episode. And over the last handful of weeks, what we have been doing here on The Bible and Life is we've been just looking at some snapshots from the book of Acts, some of my favorite scenes out of the book of Acts. And part of the motivation behind that is I've been working on the book of Acts on the listener's commentary. And if you're not familiar with the listener's commentary, that's where I teach straight through Bible books in depth, the same kind of teaching that I give at the college. I did. I taught at a college for 19 years, a Bible college. I still adjunct teach. And it's the same kind of teaching that I offer there in depth, straight through books of the Bible uh, to help you really understand it, but done in the same way we do it here on The Bible and Life, in the language of everyday life, so that we can really wrestle with it and bring that book to life. And so we've been uh, working through the listeners on uh, the listeners commentary, we've been working through the book of Acts. And so I thought, man, it just might be kind of fun here on the Bible and life to bring in some of my favorite snapshots from the book of Acts to help us see uh, how the book of Acts really speaks to us and challenges us and inspires us. And the scene we want to look at today is a well-known scene. It's from Acts chapter 16. It's the the scene of the Philippian jailer. And so if you've read the book of Acts, if you grew up going to church, the, the story of the, the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 is one of the more well-known stories in the book of Acts. And yet what I want to do on this podcast is I want to focus on a little detail in that scene that uh, often gets overlooked. And that detail is... Uh, Paul's Roman citizenship and how Paul's Roman citizenship plays out in the story in Acts 16. And I want to look at that detail because that detail has something powerful, very powerful to teach you and to teach me about what it means to follow Jesus today, right where we live, in whatever country you are living in. And so, Let's jump into Acts chapter 16, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to review the story and get the story in front of us, and then I want to look at uh, how Paul's Roman citizenship plays such a significant part in this story. So here's the scene. The Apostle Paul has been uh, called to Macedonia. Macedonia is the larger political region of which Philippi is the key city. And he's been called there specifically through a vision, a man of, from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Paul had been trying to preach in what is now northern uh, Turkey. He'd been trying to preach in Ephesus and the spirit didn't let him do that. So he's now at Troas and in a vision in the night. He sees this man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so they figure, oh, God's calling us to Macedonia. And so they sail across the Aegean. They land at Neapolis and they walk inland to Philippi, one of the major cities of Macedonia. And uh, 
you know, the, their assumption is God's called us here, so there must be an open door for ministry. But before long, things kind of go south. So they arrive in Macedonia, and when they arrive in Macedonia, they uh, settle in, and there's not a synagogue in town. That's that's becomes really important in the way the story plays out. It also becomes important for Paul's missionary strategy after this. He's like, I want to go places where there's a synagogue. So there's no synagogue. And because of that, that means there's a very small Jewish presence in town. And, and because there's such a small Jewish presence, they're just not enough to build a synagogue. So there's a meeting place of Jews outside of town by the river. Paul and his team travel out to the riverside, and they share the gospel with the small gathering of Jews, particularly Jewish ladies, there by the riverside. One particular Jew, a wealthy one, Lydia, who's from Thyatira, and she had uh, she was a seller of purple, which meant she had some means. That, that was rare. And so she came to faith in Jesus. Uh, they baptized her, and she invited them to be their house guest. Paul really had a policy against that because he didn't want to be accused of taking people's money and running because he never knew how long he'd be in town. But nevertheless, she it says, prevailed upon us. And so they stayed at Lydia's house in Philippi. Well, over the next few weeks, they kept going outside of town to that riverside, to the place of prayer, to gather with people, to teach them about Jesus, and to invite people to come and follow Jesus, help the new followers of Jesus learn about Jesus. And so they're working their way through town and then outside of town to the riverside. Well, somewhere in the town of Philippi, there was um, some people who had a slave girl who had some sort of demon, some spirit of divination, the text says, whereby she was able to um, tell the future a little bit. She had the gift of fortune telling through means of this demon, and her owners were making a killing off of her because people would pay the money for this slave girl to tell their future. Um, Well, she, because she's possessed by a demon, the demon within her, kept chasing Paul and Silas and their team and, and uh, saying, these men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, which is all true. And yet, do you really want a girl possessed by a demon being used for fortune telling to be your marketing agent, right? Do you want her to be the one that's given you your public relations agent? Not only that, it's, so it's not good press. And obviously this poor girl's in a, you know, she's just being used by her masters and is in a desperate situation. And this went on for many days. And so Paul finally got annoyed with it all and was like, okay, enough's enough. And he cast the spirit out of her. Well, when he cast the spirit out of her, all of a sudden her owners realize, well, we just lost our cash cow. There's no way we're going to make money off this girl anymore. They get frustrated. And so they actually seize Paul and Silas. And they dragged them into the marketplace, the Agora, town center, and dragged them before the city authorities there in Philippi. And here's the charges they brought against them. They said, these men, Paul and Silas, are Jews, and they are causing our city trouble, proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. Notice how those charges pit Jewishness against Romanness. 
and since they're proclaiming Jesus as the, the Jewish Messiah and thus Lord of all, um, this implicitly pits Jesus and what they're preaching against Romanness and Roman custom. And this plays directly into the situation of the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony with a unique status in the ancient world. And the citizens of the city were very proud of that unique status, their Roman uh, colony ship, right? The special rights and privileges it gave them as a Roman colony, particularly those who were Roman citizens and uh, thus citizens of the city. And so they're really playing to the civic pride, the Roman civic pride of Philippi over against the Jewishness of Paul and Silas and the message that they're preaching. Um, well, people joined in. There's a crowd gathering around. It's right public, right in the heart of town. There's tons of people. They all join in. They join in the attack and the accusations against Paul and Silas. Um, and so finally, the the city leaders tear the robes off of Paul and Silas and proceeded them to be beaten, ordered them to be beaten with rods right there in public in downtown Philippi in the marketplace there in town. And so they would take these lead rods that were about a half an inch in diameter thick, about a centimeter thick, and they would beat people on the back with these lead rods. And so that's what they ordered to have happened to Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas' backs are beaten um, bloody and bruised. And then they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to guard them securely in prison. And so the jailer was like, man, these guys must be some really bad dudes. And so they took them and, and put Paul and Silas in the inner prison, not in an outer cell, but in the central holding cell of the prison, fastened their feet into stocks, and there Paul and Silas were. Well, they sat in prison, and what's so fascinating about this story, even beyond what we want to focus on, is the reaction of Paul and Silas. They didn't grow cynical. They didn't grow bitter, right? They, they didn't bemoan their plight. They didn't cry out, why, God, we thought you called us here. You gave us a vision, and then look what happens to us. None of that. Instead, there they are in, in prison with bruised and bloodied and beaten backs in stocks, right, in the dark, in a holding cell, and they're singing praises to God, and they're praying to God and, and um, worshiping him in prison in the middle of the night. And the other prisoners can hear them, and they're all listening in, and they're like, what's wrong with those guys? And they're worshiping God and praising God, and then all of a sudden, uh, there's a great earthquake, Right, The foundations of the jail are shaken, all the doors fly open, the shackles fall off, the prisoner wakes up in the middle of the night, he calls for a torch, he looks into the prison, he sees the doors open, he's sure all his prisoners escaped, and he's sure, therefore, that his life is done for, that, uh, that his job is over and he's going to be killed. So he takes out his sword and he's about to kill himself because like, it's going to happen anyhow. And uh, Paul calls out, we're all here, don't harm yourself. He rushes in, he takes Paul and Silas out and uh, kind of treats their wounds on their backs and takes them into his house, gives them some food to eat. Paul preaches the gospel to the jailer and his family and the jailer and his family come to faith in Jesus. They actually take them out probably to the same riverside where Paul had been meeting with people. They take them out to the river, baptizes them right then in the middle of the night um, and, um, brought them into his house, gave them some breakfast. He was overjoyed. And then here's what happens, 
I'm guessing, uh, I don't know if Paul's still at his house or has he put him back in jail or what, but the city leaders send police officers to jail, and the jail's right there in, in downtown, too. It's right in the heart of the city. It's a very public place. So the city leaders send their police officers to the jailer and order the jailer to release those men. Paul, or the jailer's excited for Paul and Silas. You're free to go. Comes and tells him, oh, you're free to go. The chief magistrate said, hey, you're go in peace. Paul said, no, not leaving. Um, this is what he says. He says, after they beat us in public without due process, men who are Romans, they threw us into prison, and now they're going to try to release us secretly? No way. No, indeed. On the contrary, let them come in person and they can lead us out. Well, the magistrates are afraid when they learn that they're Romans because they didn't treat them with the proper legal processes. And so they do. They come and they escort Paul and Silas out of jail right through the marketplace where everything had taken place yesterday and give them this public escort out of town, uh, out of the jail at least. And, and Paul and Silas kind of pack things up and they head out of town. Now, let's step back and reflect on this story and this whole little bit about Paul being a Roman citizen. There, at the end of the story, after spending a night in jail, after being beaten with rods, there in the morning, Paul announces his citizenship. Um, the, the chief magistrates, the city leaders, right, they send their officers and they say, release those men. Paul says, no way, because we're Romans. And they treated us without due process. And they shamed us publicly, threw us into prison, and now they're going to just try to kind of let us go secretly. And in that moment, Paul announces his citizenship. And it leads to the officers being afraid. It leads to the city leaders being afraid. Uh, and this tells us something very, very important. Uh, that Paul could have avoided the beating and avoided the imprisonment if he had simply announced his citizenship the day before when they were drugged before the city leaders. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? In other words, when Paul and Silas were brought into the marketplace and the charges were brought against them, if Paul had simply said, uh, when they're getting ready to beat them or whatever, Paul had simply said, we too are Romans. He could have avoided the shame. He could have avoided the beating with rods. He could have avoided the night in jail, right? He could have avoided all of that, but he didn't. Why not? Now, some have suggested that maybe he didn't because, you know, the crowd was out of control and he could never get a word in edgewise. And that, I guess, is a possibility, although I see it as a very slight possibility. Since we have a record of the very charges against him before the city leaders, Paul simply could have spoke up immediately after that um, and, and announced that he's a citizen. And that would have silenced everybody. Uh, and he didn't do that. There's probably several reasons why. One, maybe the city leaders would have wanted to verify his citizenship. That would have meant uh, if you know Paul had to produce papers and if he didn't have a, a citizenship card on him, which he may not have, uh, they would have had to verify that by you know going back to his hometown and getting citizenship records from Tarsus. It would have taken a long time because nothing was online back then. This would have been a long process. So it may have been simply that. 
But I think if we think more deeply about this, I think it has a lot to do with the nature of the charges. The charges that were brought against Paul specifically uh, pit Jewishness and thus a, the, the message of a Jewish Messiah against Romanness. In the midst of those charges, if Paul announces his Roman citizenship, what does that say? Well, in some senses, it kind of contradicts his message about Jesus and the Jewish Messiah and all that. Not only that, if he announces his Roman citizenship in that moment, what does it say to this fledgling group of new disciples there in Philippi? They may not have the privilege of Roman citizenship. They may not be, therefore, able to avoid public humiliation or beatings by announcing their citizenship like Paul did. And thus, it could weaken the courage and the stability of the church by uh, just saying, I'm a citizen. And then thus, Paul could avoid the hardship that they themselves might experience in the months or weeks that, that follow for following Jesus. And so, the nature of the charges and what it would mean for Paul to announce that in that context and what it would say to the church and what it would say about Jesus and what it would say about Jewishness and the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish message of, or Paul's message of a Jewish Messiah, all of that, I think, factors into Paul's decision. And, and Paul and Silas, they keep silent in that moment, and thus they endure a beating with rods that they didn't have to endure. Um, they endure a night in prison in uh, uh, shackles that they didn't have to endure. And they did so, it seems, in the context of the story and in the context of what Paul later writes to the Philippians. You put that into the mix and it becomes even more clear uh, that Paul never wanted to compromise the message of the gospel with his Roman citizenship. Um, what Paul always wanted to do was to, to do what was best for the gospel. And it seems that Paul, in this instance here in Acts 16, made a str strategic choice that claiming Roman citizenship in the moment of the charges was not best for the gospel. But the next morning, when the city leaders are trying to just shoo them away secretly and help, help this whole thing goes away, particularly in view of the earthquake in the middle of the night and all that, um, in that moment, Paul decides announcing his citizenship is best for the gospel. Why is it best for the gospel? Because now it forces the city magistrates to escort Paul and Silas through town, admit, therefore, publicly that they were wrong in how they treated them, and thus Everyone looking on would say, oh, I guess, I guess maybe what they were teaching is okay. And now it gives some credibility and a leg to stand on for the gospel legally there in Philippi. And so at this moment, when he announces it, it's best for the gospel. In the previous moment, when he doesn't announce it, it's best for the gospel. And that's the message I think we need to see from Paul's choice when to announce his Roman citizenship there in Philippi. Paul's driven by what's best for the gospel. What's best for the gospel? Not what's best for himself, but what ultimately is in the best interest and in the best well-being of the gospel. In fact, when you read the letter he writes to the Philippians, Paul says this very same thing, that he, you know, if he 
lives, that's good. If he dies, that's better. He gets to go with Jesus. And yet he's convinced, this is Philippians chapter one, he's convinced that to stay on and not yet go to be with Jesus is actually better for their sake and thus best for the gospel. So he would prefer just to stay on, even though that means not going to be with Jesus yet. Paul is driven by this. When Paul gives the news report in Philippians about how he's doing, it's really more a news report about how the gospel is doing. This is what really drove Paul's life. What's best for the gospel? In wherever we live, in whatever city we live, we have to make this choice on a daily basis. Is uh, identifying ourselves too much with certain political um, choices or political parties or certain political camps or certain political ideologies, is that best for the gospel or not, right? Like, are we willing to surrender our rights for the sake of the gospel. And Paul did that in Philippi. He surrendered his rights to a fair trial, and he could have avoided being beaten with rods because it wasn't in the best interest of the gospel. I think that's a powerful, challenging message from Paul's example for, for you and for me. Wherever we live, in whatever country we live, are we more concerned about our rights? Are we more concerned about our comfort? Are we more concerned about our well-being? Or are we more concerned about Jesus and the gospel having a leg to stand on? Jesus and the gospel looking good in town. Jesus and the gospel having credibility. And what kind of lifestyle, what kind of choices in any given situation should we make that's in the best interest of the gospel? That's how Paul lived his life. And it's how Paul calls us to live our life when he writes to the Philippians in his Philippian letter. So may we be people who always live and ask the question, what's best for the gospel? All right. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. The Bible and Life and the listener's commentary is a crowdfunded Bible teaching effort made possible by the generosity of our supporters. So thanks a ton if you're one of the people who support this ministry and this work. May God bless you for it. If you've been impacted in some way, by the Bible in Life or by the listener's commentary, by both of them, would you prayerfully consider donating to make this ministry continue to grow and expand so that it can reach more and more people? Thanks again for tuning into this episode. May you have a wonderful week walking with Jesus. I look forward to talking to you again next week.